Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. It's good to welcome you all back. Thanks for tuning in as we continue just to walk forward in our journey of faith and recognize some of the challenges and the, the crosses that we carry, but also some of the, the divisions that can pop up and even divisions within our own heart in which some of us can just feel like we're outcast from God, outcast from one another, always seeking to build up a, a greater spirit of, of community and belonging as we journey in our faith together. So, Father Crotty, good to be back with you. Likewise, Father Shane. I just experienced I have a question quick, besides, just because we have the Father Crotty, Father Shane thing. We asked this at the beginning, and I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been kind of uh, fleshed out yet. You've been a Father First Name guy for a while. Your last name also um, sounds contrary to the life of a priest, um, sounding like demon. (laughs) Um, right. However, the question was brought up before you arrived in St. Louis that the culture of Kendrick Lennon Seminary is a father last name culture, right? With Father right. Hazing, with Father Schumer, with Father Ansetter, uh, with Deacon Keating. So, right. have you stayed father first name or have you shifted to father last name? No, so everybody in Iowa likes to call me Father Shane because nobody likes to call me Father Demon up there. But everyone here at Kenrick calls me Father Demon. It, it just happened. It just like I, I, I had showed, well, some of the staff members called me Father Shane because that's what they had kind of heard me referred to as previously uh-huh. before I ever arrived. But all the semin- I don't think the seminarians are comfortable with that. Funny. So Because I think that's just the culture. Every All the other formators, uh-huh. all the other faculty members are referred to as their last name. And it's not weird. It's just fine. No, it's just who I am. But nobody in Iowa does that. And I don't care. I told them you can call me whatever you want. And I'm sure yeah. the seminarians have other words for me sometimes too. <laughs> but I'm... I'm I'm comfortable with it, whatever they want. So. That's great. I just experienced recently, as Father Shane and Father Demon, whatever it is. I don't <laughs> the have priest, formerly known as Father Shane. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a split personality. Um, I just experienced something that you had done for a number of years. Yes. You would have, you would have helped out at the Convivium experience for yeah. um, uh, Kenrick Lennon Seminary. It was, a, it was a pleasant experience down at the Chase Hotel. Yeah, um, big auction dinner. Big auction dinner, nice banquet. Um, 500 guests. It was a really fun evening. Um, as as an extroverted showman uh, myself, I very much you? enjoyed no. it. Yes, yes. No, I can't my- imagine you wanting to mingle <laughs> with 500 people. Yeah, exactly. No, I loved it. Um, one of my favorite things, and I really hope this still happened during the live auction, and that was really my first, I mean, the first year of theology, but then all four years that I was at Convivium. Um, the live auction, I, I hadn't gone to a lot of galas is that how you say it? gala gala galas yeah galas um uh you know in my life before that but i really i really the live auction was so fun and as seminarians we would stand around with those orange flags mm-hmm. to assist the um well just kind of the the overall uh con- convivience if you will of the experience of the convivium uh the you know the joy during a live auction but that was so fun to like help the auctioneer out flagging people down during live auctions was yeah, a puppy was a puppy auctioned off as well? That was always an exciting. No, there was no live animals. Okay, they must have you know, kind of kind of backed off on that one. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know the history of that, but <laughs> no, there was some wonderful. Um, 
There were some wonderful items, travel experiences, things that were auctioned off, fun events, tickets to various things, sporting events or concerts or whatnot. Um, and it was a fun evening. You know, when the seminarians are kind of surrounding the room and clapping for everybody, it's certainly, you know, the enthusiasm in the room can get pretty contagious. And the, and the bidding wars can start. Oh, yes. Um, obviously, people have had a few drinks by this point in the evening. But also, I think the, the, just the the shared enthusiasm of the room yeah. uh, starts to get people uh, feeling pretty generous. Um, and I pointed that out to the seminarians before we ended the night with the traditional Salve Regina, the Marian Antiphon sung uh, with all the seminarians on stage in the ballroom. I had pointed that out. I had just said, gentlemen, yes, I said, gentlemen, huh. <laughs> which they always which they always like to, to make fun of me of. I just said, gentlemen, look around this room. Regardless of the, the dollar amount that's been raised tonight for the continued mission of this seminary and this institution, look around the room and just notice the generosity and the love that's being supported here. Um, th- there's just an outflowing uh, you know, font of support that so many in that room were caring for the seminarians, regardless of the auction items that they may have bid on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the great takeaway to say that, you know, priestly formation in the context of this seminary is not just this private, you know, closed affair, but the entire life of the church is involved in this formation enterprise, helping to build up the future shepherds of the church, helping to call forth more men and women into religious vocations to be of service to the people of God. And I think that atmosphere, that enthusiasm was really evident regardless of how successful the auction was. So it was, a, it was a really pleasant evening. Glad it worked out. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Did, uh, I assume the seminarians auctioned off the traditional, like a dinner put on at the seminary? Yes, the rector had one, and then Father Schumer and I, we have a vice rector's dinner. Now, th- those and were, the, semin- the seminary, th- so those happened often, right? It was dinner with one of you. But then there's yes. one where the seminarians themselves prepare the the full meal experience. Yes, there was a, the seminarians did one of those as well, and I forget which class is kind of leading that charge. But that was auctioned off. That was and yeah, that was one of the most fun. They asked me to be the bartender for that one year, and they said usually mm-hmm. just do beer and wine. And I said, ha, right. So we had um, fresh rosemary smoked Manhattans and Negronis, uh, and I was oh. like lighting rosemary on fire in the foyer of the seminary, and the whole place smelled of rosemary smoke so it was it was it was fun to watch some of these some of these guys who came in they said did you study this somewhere i said no and just like put on a good show so (laughs) it was wonderful uh yeah wonderful wonderful generous benefactors um in the archdiocese of st louis and throughout the church but i'm glad you got to experience that father shane yeah it was a good night what do you have for us today father i um i just want to to uh put out two images there to kind of do a comparing and contrasting all right I want to talk about a mirror, a mirror that we would look at ourselves in, and I want to talk about a crucifix, mm. okay? And maybe just poise this question. If you walked into your bathroom tomorrow morning and you started to get ready for the day, what would your day look like if you walk up to your sink and instead of having a mirror there, you only had a crucifix? Mm. Um. What would be the, obviously you couldn't see yourself. We're not talking about a glass crucifix here. Um, But a traditional crucifix that was hanging in front of you throughout the day. If you didn't have a mirror in front of you, how would you see yourself? How would you, how would you be returning back to a meditative state with the Lord? Obviously mirrors are important. All of us want to make sure that our hair is not like standing up, you know, on end. 
uh, we want to look professional and presentable. We want to make sure that there's nothing hanging out of our nose. We want to, we want to make sure that we've got it all together, that our teeth are clean and all these kind of things. Uh, so mirrors obviously do have a value, right? But the question I'm kind of driving at here, and, and I want your opinion on this, and our listeners can chew on it as well. Do we spend more time being self-absorbed with our own appearance, perhaps being self-conscious, uh, you know, maybe just really anxious about what our appearance is, how we stack up to others, especially in a day in which so many images online are put through Photoshop and, and touched up to make them look, you know, quote unquote, perfect. Do we spend so much time trying to uh, live up to this ideal of what in our minds we think our public uh, appearance should be, but instead we have forgotten to gaze upon and stare at the ultimate source of beauty seen through the love of the crucifix, right? Do, do, we, get, do we get so self-absorbed that our personal uh, projected self, what we want to kind of craft on our faces or within our clothing and our appearance, does that become such a, a consuming experience that we've actually forgotten about the need to just gaze upon the Lord in his ultimate source of love? Any thoughts on that? Quite a few. I'm grateful for that image. That's a good challenge for me. You know, when I got to seminary, I, I hadn't really considered vanity before. Um, but I, I began to realize so quickly, coming right out of high school, I mean, I see this now as a high school chaplain. I'm sure you saw it so often. Man, as a young person, there's so much focus on whether people think about us, right? There's just constant, like, so much attention. Um, there's a freshman girl who's just constantly fixing her hair all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's just, a, that's just another image of that. But then that's an exterior experience of that. But then an interior experience of that constantly being almost like looking over our shoulder of what are people thinking about me? How are they perceiving me, right? Um, I remember at a public high school, the idea of praying before a meal and just making the sign of a cross. There was plenty of other Catholics there. There was Everybody was pretty much a Christian, but constantly being afraid of what other people thought about me, right? Slowly, that went away. But I started to recognize that that type of vanity of paying so much attention to myself, right, that psychologists called navel gazing and um, St. Augustine called curved in on oneself, right, in curvatus and say, that produces this twofold experience of pride or insecurity, right? You're insecure of yourself so you can beat yourself up or you flip it around and you say, well, at least I'm not like those people. I'm not like those people. But all of that is just so focused inward. It's not focused um, toward anything else, right? So that proposal of having Jesus crucified, right? Ecce homo, behold the man right in front of us all the time. That it, it breaks through any of that vanity, any of that pride, any of that insecurity because the focus isn't on us. The focus is on him. Um, my first year at Kenrick in my first year of theology, Father Mason would so often quote Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ it's in the life I live now is no longer my life, but Christ living in me that St. Paul says. I mean, he was so adamant about that, about the life of the priest that we're being formed toward is a life of being configured to Jesus, configured to the crucified and risen one, as Pope Francis so often talks about. And that move was so helpful for me. It was a move away from just 
being absorbed in myself, even in a time of formation where some people feel like there's a, a, a microscope, right? Constantly on you by these formators, by all these people, your bishop, your vocation director looking at you. I felt a lot of freedom away from that because the move was to look to Christ, um, to be configured to him. Uh, remind me, I, I haven't been there for a while. The chiborium above the altar at Kenrick in the chapel in St. Joseph's Chapel, it's that line when you're handed the chalice, um, at your ordination, but there's the line that you can see, um, imitate what you celebrate and be configured to the Lord's cross. But the way it's lined up in Latin is you see the words imitare and imitate what you celebrate and conform. I forget another word. I don't remember looking at it. <laughs> you always sit in the, you always sit in the sanctuary and you don't see the, uh, yeah, I don't look up at it because I'm probably sitting right stuff. below it. Exactly. Actually. But it's yeah. beautiful. Imitate what you celebrate and be configured to the Lord's cross, right? So to imitate Jesus rather than trying to just imitate those around us or trying to be so self-absorbed in ourselves that we miss um, that he's the one that uh, we're called to, to imitate. Yeah, I was reading an article. I don't remember where the high school was, but I was reading an article a few years ago where this particular high school, they took out all the mirrors of the entire school. Um, and they, they were just, sh- st- it was kind of a sociology experiment. And they were stunned by the results that um, people weren't constantly going to the bathroom to check out their hair and to check out their clothing and everything. There's zits and it, on their face. Right. Everyone just seemed to walk around the uh, the building with a lot greater sense of freedom, knowing that I, I really can't just be fixated on myself all the time. So I'm just going to be carrying out my duties, going about my daily tasks, and being more concerned about those around me mm. than constantly collapsing in on myself. Uh, and, and, and they have continued that. I, I, again, I don't remember which high school it was, but they just said, well, we're not going to put the mirrors back in. This was such a successful sociology project that we actually find greater health in the whole you know, organization here, the whole community. Um, and, and I think that could be done on a number of different levels. And, and so the question always has to, we have to keep coming back to is how much time do we spend staring at a mirror versus how much time do we spend staring at the crucifix mm-hmm. uh, or perhaps another sacred image that really elevates the mind as Colossians 3 says, seek that which is above. Um, you know, how much does the imagination go towards the heavenly realm, towards the sacred things? And does that prompt us outside of ourselves so that we get, we don't get clapped, it collapsed back in on ourselves with this self-referential focus all day long. Um, if that could, if that could be the, the number one priority, you know, what, what would happen if we put a crucifix in front of every sink in a public space? Um, what would happen if we had to, to dedicate a set amount of time every day to gazing upon uh, a real traditional form of meditation to just gaze upon the, gaze upon the, um, the crucifix to look upon him who was pierced for our offenses, to look upon him who was beaten and by his stripes we have been healed, mm-hmm. uh, to just gaze upon that every single day, the emotional response, the affections of love, the desires for holiness can become so inflamed that all of a sudden you just forget about yourself and you just mm-hmm. move on being really excited about the Christian mission and not so, com- not so worried about how am I comparing myself to one another how am I portraying beauty? How do I stack up against all these other people that I see online with their perfect hair, their perfect makeup, their perfect style, their perfect wardrobe? Mm-hmm. What would look What would look like if we, you know, just stared stared upon a crucifix above above every sink, 
rather than ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I hope people know, and, and maybe if you don't, I mean, number one, like this is a continuing experience of conversion. We don't have this figured out ourselves, right? That's an invitation for both of us and a challenge for both of us, right? To stay focused on Christ, to stay focused on the one who invites us to, you know, configure our lives after him, who invites us to be, to follow him, right? Follow me. I love, um, the, you had already put together the design for our uh, vocations poster and it's uh, English and Spanish, right? And I, I really love in the Spanish, the, uh, the imperative to follow is just sigame, mm-hmm. follow me. Just, just, but I love the one word with just, it's very like punchy. Um, that's what Jesus invited his apostles to do. And they, you know, they followed and they followed all the way to the cross and they followed to the resurrection. They followed to the ascension. Almost all of them followed to their death, right? But they kept following him and there was freedom in the following there's so much more freedom in following Jesus than there is in just being so self-absorbed um, and comparing ourselves to others and trying to meet some sort of unrealistic ideal, right, of our own behavior, of our own action, of our own, um, yeah, thoughts about ourselves. And I, I experienced that because I look back now looking at high school students that I work with and realizing, oh, it's, it's exhausting trying to compare yourselves to others, trying to be constantly focused on yourself and, you know, this kind of self-improvement. Um, but that self-improvement, that desire that we have to be better, that, that takes on a, a totally new meaning when we're not just trying to configure ourselves to, you know, a standard that the world offers of, of beauty, of fashion, that the standard offers, that the world offers a standard of our intellectual prowess or our political savviness or whatever, but to actually be configured to, to him, like to the crucified, to the risen one. There's real freedom in that, right? Um, and there's an excitement in continuing to follow even as we fall, even as we keep falling back into, you know, kind of navel gazing and being focused on ourselves because there's so much freedom out of that place of despair. Because when we try to be perfect, it's never going to work. But when we follow Jesus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. Because he's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So he invites us to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. There's not a there's not a sadness with that. There's an excitement of following Jesus, right? The Son of God. Deacon Jim Keating here is on the faculty as one of our spiritual directors and one of our professors. I always love listening to his presentations. He's just one of my favorite preachers. And several months ago he asked the question, Do we face ourselves or are we facing the source? Do we face ourselves or are we always seeking more to face the source, the source of our life, the source of our beauty, the source of intelligence, the source of personality, right? Um, and I think this, this question gets really highlighted if you look at a mirror or you look at a crucifix. Are we going towards the source of all of our delight? Are we seeking intimacy with the Trinity, you know, to do the will of the Father to, to abide with the Son, and to really just uh, live in the power of the Spirit. Is that what we seek more often, or are we seeking ourselves? And I don't think, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of wonderful Christians out there who are striving every day to do a good thing, you know, to, to put in honest day's work, to love their spouse and family members, to take care of their children, to take care of the poor and the homeless and whatnot. There's wonderful things going out there. And, and as you do those things, that is taking you outside of your source, or out of yourself, and, and through, the, our, through our acts of love, through our generosity towards others, we can go towards the source by acting as God did, 
but also seeking to find the source of God himself through all of those different things. Um, none of that actually replaces the, the, the primacy of prayer, to actually stare upon the one who loves us so much, the one who actually can move the heart in such a way that we know we're, we're resting in divine intimacy. Just, uh, just something for our, our listeners to continue to think about. Do I think we that face re- ourselves or do we face the source? Yeah, I think that reflection, Father Shane, just gives us a really helpful challenge. Uh, that chapel at, at Helan, Bishop, uh, the St. John Paul II chapel, uh, as Father Hughes is always want to point out, the, the crucifix is massive and not very mm-hmm. um, uh, proportional to the size of the chapel, right? It comes from a church in Scranton, Iowa that was, you know, that's since closed. But it's huge. So to pray in that, to pray in that chapel, you have to look at this massive crucifix because it's the only thing on this huge wall that's behind the kind of small sanctuary in front of it. But it's it's shocking because when we actually look at the crucifix, which I, I invite you, me, all of our listeners to do sometime in the next 24 hours, um, it's shocking because when you look at it, there's a dead man hanging on a cross. So mm-hmm. The crucifix is, right? We see them so often. They're hanging on the walls of our schools. They're hanging on the walls of our homes. But when we don't actually look at them, it, we, we realize how, how paradoxical it is. Why are we looking at this dead man, right? We're looking at this man who gave his life for us, and we know that that wasn't the end, right? And when we, when we spend time looking at the cross and looking at Jesus, especially in the midst of the cross, instead of ourselves, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, right, we see our own flaws, we see our own, our own failings, and we have, nothing to, we have nowhere to go with that. But to look at the crucifix, we know that in the midst of his brokenness, that's not the end, but we can actually bring our own experience of brokenness to the cross and experience the redemption that comes through the resurrection. So what a wonderful invitation that that reflection gives each of us to look to the cross, not just in a kind of hypothetical way, but in a real way, right? We have them on our walls and our churches for a reason. So let's all turn, yeah, let's all turn to the cross in a new way that we can imitate Jesus. Good advice. We'll leave it with that. Father, it's always good to be with you. Thanks to all of our listeners. Let's keep one another in prayer as we continue to build up our sense of community and seek a source rather than ourselves. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.